All right, good morning, everybody. This morning we'll be in Luke chapter 2. If you want to turn there in your Bibles, Luke 2. We'll get through verse 20 today, and then, of course, next week, Christmas Day, we'll do the rest of this chapter. This Saturday, Christmas Eve, we'll be having our um, candlelight service. That'll be at 7 p.m. And then, of course, next Sunday, only one service. That's at 11 um, no 9 a.m. service, so you'll have to come at 11, if you come at all. Um, but you're, we'll be here to serve you any way we can. Then next Wednesday, not this coming, but next Wednesday, we'll have no service. We take that week off in between Christmas and New Year's, and then New Year's Eve is our party. That's at, I don't know what time we have at that one, so, so 6 p.m., all right. And then uh, that Sunday morning, uh, New Year's Day, we'll have an 11 a.m. service only as well, so. That's kind of our schedule here. We'll pray and we'll get started. Lord, we thank you for this Christmas season, this time where we can focus on your birth and your advent, your coming the first time. And we see such hope and such peace brought by your first appearing. So much joy. Um, The silence is broken after 400 years of waiting and the cry has been heard. Come and save us. And, uh, And here you are. And so we get to go over that again this year, and we thank you for that. So we pray that you'd bless our time in your word this morning, that it would speak to our hearts and uh, refresh and renew that, that beautiful peace that we have with you now, and that we'd share it with others during this next few weeks as we uh, work into the new year. In Jesus' name, amen. In this next section in chapter 2 of Luke, we hear... Um, some difficulties, some trials come in the way of Mary and Joseph and um, the baby. And that's how it is with our faith. They've been asked to believe God at his word, and both have. Uh, Mary has accepted the calling on her life and is willing to walk in it and is seeing growth in the baby's eight and a half months or so, if not long, you know, further along. And uh, so she's showing for sure and very uncomfortable Joseph has accepted his responsibilities, his calling, his portion, his part in this um, event, uh, both very difficult to say yes to, but by faith, because they trust God and they know who he is, of course, of course we'll do what you've asked us to do. Well, with that agreement with the Lord, we're going to do what you asked us to do. Um, There's a reason it's called faith, and there's a reason he tells us ahead of time what he's going to do. It's because there's going to be opposition. It's going to be circumstances that don't appear like the thing that God has asked of you can take place. And we see the first one here in chapter 2. It says, And it came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. The census first took place while Cornelius was governing Syria. So all went to be registered, everyone to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. First opposition, of course, is government intrusion. (laughs) He got a whim. Caesar decided to go ahead and Register everybody, and this is for taxation, of course. It's always what it's about, more money from the people. 
And I put myself in both of these young parents, future parents, physicians, and um, this is not a good time for this to take place. It, it's a hard enough calling alone. Just what they heard from the angels. So you're going to have a baby, but you've never been with a man, and you're just going to have to accept that, and the people around you won't. And Joseph, I still want you to be the father of my son. I want you to raise him, but you'll always know he's not your son, and everybody else will either assume you're the father out of wedlock or that he's not your son either, but from another man, and you're going to have to put up with that. And those are two callings hard to accept, but then in the middle, labor's hard enough as it is back then, always, always, always. But now we've got to travel at eight plus months, almost nine months, probably right at nine. What a terrible time for this to take place. And can you imagine the questioning that would go through their minds? And I say that because I I experience that, and I think we all do when we hear God tell us to go in a direction or to do something. And we say, oh, yes, Lord, you know. And we've talked about this recently, but we have expectations of how that path is going to unfold before us. We just do. We don't mean to, but we can say, oh, I see where we're going with this. And that's an expectation. We we don't see how it's going to happen, but we can see how this is going to happen. And so Joseph's like all geared up for um, everybody looking at him funny in Nazareth, you know. Mary's all geared up for everybody looking at her funny in Nazareth. And then in the middle of this, right before birth, I want you to go to Bethlehem. Doubts might creep in. Poor Joseph, you know, is it my fault? I say that because I know I heard from the angel. I know that I'm supposed to go. I mean, I really had a supernatural moment with God, but the only reason we're going to Bethlehem is because of my lineage, just because that's where I'm from. And now I've got to take this poor young lady who's pregnant all the way across country, you know, at the worst time bouncing up and down on a donkey. Is it me? Would it have been better if I wasn't, you know, is this a mistake? Just the doubts that can come in. And maybe they had none. Maybe they knew for sure this is how it was supposed to be. Maybe they remembered the prophecies that, of course, the child was going to be raised in Nazareth, but born in Bethlehem. Maybe they knew all of that, and they were much further along in their faith than I am. But I know in my own walk, I've had lots of words from the Lord, wrote them down in my Bible, put dates on them. This is going to happen. This is something for me. I don't share it with anybody. And then certain things come up in my life where that's going to be next to impossible and really hard, and maybe I didn't hear and and all these things. And No, it's just not the case. It's just the way it is. Once you accept that calling by faith, whether that's just to believe on Jesus for your salvation and that wonderful euphoria that you feel as you've accepted the forgiveness that God has for you and there's no guilt and there's no shame anymore and you feel like you have a purpose and you... Your eyes are wide open out of the things of the Spirit, and you're like a child looking at wonderment at the things of the Lord for the first time. It's exciting, but it doesn't stay like that. I mean, there's always the excitement, but you begin to become a little more settled and grounded in in the Word and a little more stable, and you're, you're a little more offensive but also defensive at the same time with your walk. You don't just accept like you did at the beginning everything everybody tells you. You begin to filter things out through God's word. You begin to to mature is the idea. 
Things change. The path isn't as simple as when we first saw it, but as we walk along the road, we realize, and this is their first trial and tribulation that's going to come their way. There's going to be a lot. There's going to be a lot of difficulties raising this boy, accepting this calling. Yes, it's joyous in your own heart, but you begin to realize how lonely this calling is going to be because you're the only one that truly understands you heard from God, Joseph and Mary both. They continue to walk. I'll give you some examples in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 6-8. through 8, Peter talks about the fiery trials that come along to test our faith. It's by faith we receive anything from the Lord. And this is one of those fiery trials. As Joseph and Mary have accepted the calling of God, maybe we don't think of them this way, but there are circumstances that come up in our lives like, wait, this is supposed to be easier. This is supposed to be better. It's supposed to be smoother. If it's of the Lord, it's smooth. Not always. He says, in this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials. And they do grieve you. That the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen, you love. Though now you do not see him, yet believing, you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory. You see things happen in your life that are completely contrary to what you thought was going to take place. This is different for Mary and Joseph. The genuineness of their faith cannot be shown any other way but through trials and through fiery difficulties. And they're going through it. They continue to hope. Now they have a little more evidence that this is actually going to take place. I mean, she, she is nine months, you know. It's not like they're walking and she's got a flat stomach and saying, well, I don't know, there's supposed to be a baby or something, but I don't feel it, I don't see it. No, she's been feeling the kicks, the pains, the Braxton Hicks, they're moving up, they're moving into the hips and then into the lower back and they're starting to contract and more. And, oh, God, here, here we go, you know. So she does have some evidence that there's going to be a baby, but it is not simple. 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 12 through 13. Beloved, and Peter says that because he wants us to know these things are from a heart of love. Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you as though some strange thing happened to you. But rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. This little detour, or what looks to be like a detour, is a fulfillment of prophecy. God foresaw it. That's the idea. Some people get confused, I think, about prophecy or the events that take place. And and, and it's a very fine line, and I don't know that it needs to be expounded upon too much. But sometimes we think God said something, and then he has to make things happen to fit the prophecy. Well, that's from an unbelieving standpoint. But the prophecy is simply his omnipotence. I can see ahead of time exactly the choices that everybody's going to make and the events that are going to take place at the free will of man. I can see that. And so he prophesies how it's going to come about. He tells us ahead of time, here are the choices that are all going to be made by man. I have full knowledge. And so to get from Nazareth, the prophecy of Nazareth, and the prophecy of Bethlehem to all fall into place, This is all part of it. None of this surprises God. None of this is a trial for him. 
None of it's a difficulty. It's only for these folks that realize, now I've got to really walk in these things. You're, you're walking in the prophecy. It's a little different than just reading about it. When we go through the New Testament, we read what the church is supposed to be like and what is expected of believers and unbelievers. It's easy to read it. It's a whole other thing to walk it. To begin to experience these things. When Peter talks about these fiery trials and that everybody's going to go through them, we read that and say, oh boy. But then when you wake up tomorrow and you get the call or you get the news or something happens, you're often still shocked by the fact that this is a trial coming my way. No, this is, this is our walk. This is what proves our faith. Do I love Jesus in good times and bad times? Do I love Jesus in sickness and in health? Do I love Jesus riches and poor? And so on. It is a truly a marriage. James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. In other words, there's a purpose for it. It isn't just to throw a speed bump in God's path of your life. You know, that's not what he's trying to do. That's not what's happening. It's actually going to produce some patience in us, which we all desperately need. I don't know that anybody's ever had enough patience. We could all use a little bit more, but it does. And patience is a funny thing, I think, how it looks on a person. They're calm, collected, and they're moving forward regardless of the difficulty, regardless of the roadblock that comes in their way. They just stand at the roadblock, whatever it may be, and say, I don't know how God's going to do this, but it's going to have to happen His way. And we wait for God to make a way, either removing the roadblock or finding an alternate route. But it's going to happen. It's going to take place. You think of Abraham. That's the next scriptures. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 17, by faith Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises offered up his only begotten son. How in the world can all the promises given by God according, about this child Isaac, if I kill him, none of those promises come to pass? How does that happen? That, you talk about faith. I'm going to come up against this second asking of God. He's asked me to offer up Isaac. I'm going to do that knowing that he's going to fulfill, even though I obey him here and I obeyed him there, it's all going to work out. They don't fight it. They don't try to hide. They don't try to find a way out of it. That's a tough call, I think, for Joseph. Hmm. I wonder if I could not show up. I wonder if I could go slow. I wonder if we could show up a month later with the baby, and then register the mindset, you know. But instead, they fully obey. They obey the authorities placed over them, and it works out. It works out. Verse 6, so it was that while they were there, they're in Bethlehem now, the days were completed for her to be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. We make a lot of assumptions during this section. And we, it seems like they just walked into town and there was no uh, you know, room at the inn and they went right to this manger and they had the baby and then they left. You know, it indicates they've been there for a while. So it was that while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered. They haven't been in the inn for a long time. They found this stable, this shelter. They're getting registered. 
not excited maybe to get back on the road back to Nazareth. We're about there. She's starting to feel things, and so they stay put. And she brought forth her firstborn son. This shows poverty. This is why God puts this in here. It shows that they don't have the money to bribe an innkeeper for extra space. They can't even go door to door. I mean, this isn't the only place in town. I imagine people have opened up rooms in their homes. I mean, what a great opportunity to make a little extra cash. But Joseph doesn't have enough money to even do that. You know, I got a hundred bucks with me. Can we get into your room? You know, can I can I sleep on the floor of your living room or whatever? No, it shows their poverty. Of all the places, of course, of all the people to be born to, this is a place of poverty. I think God wants us to remember that. I don't focus on this too much because I think we're all genuinely. Generous people, for the most part. It isn't a thing that you need to harp on, you know. Be sure and be nice to people. Be sure and to give to those who are in need. I think we're all willing to do that. I don't know that anybody I've ever met says, absolutely not. I'm never doing that. And that person's usually an unbeliever, you know. I've never met a believer that says, I'm not giving nothing to nobody, you know. But I do want to say something about it because God makes it a point to show the poverty here. And in Scripture, in Matthew 25, 37 through 40, with the poverty of Joseph and Mary and the innkeeper not having compassion enough to either ask somebody, hey, could you, could you leave and let these folks, you know, stay in your room? It says this, Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? When did we see you a stranger and take you in or naked and clothe you? Or when did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? And the king will answer and say to them, Assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did it to one of the least of these, my brethren, you did it to me. Very elementary for a Christian to know that helping other people is the right thing to do. But oftentimes when we're doing what's just built into the character of a Christian, we're actually we're ministering to Jesus in some way, shape, or form. Not just in seeing the poverty, but the scriptures indicate sometimes there's angels in disguise. I don't think we go around looking for that. I don't think anybody does. I think the believers in this section of Matthew 25 are unaware that that's even possible. They were just doing the right thing to the people around them. And Jesus says, I noticed. That's the whole point of the scripture. I just want you to know that this morning, that God notices those things you've done this year. The people you've reached out to, the people you've helped. It was not meant for that. You didn't do it for notoriety. You didn't do it as a check mark in heaven, a positive star, you know, on your, in your column. But it was noticed by God. He says so. He notices those things. He pays attention to those things. They're pleasing to him. And when you did that for somebody, whether they were in sick or prison or naked and you clothed them or gave them food or they were just a stranger and you decided to reach out to them, God saw that. Maybe they were angels, maybe they weren't, but he doesn't, it doesn't make any difference. He doesn't need them to be an angel for him to get wind of it. He saw the act and it was beautiful to him because that's his heart on those things. And I, I bring it up because I, I get jaded as I get older. I get a little more, not stingy, but super cautious now. I didn't used to be super cautious. 
I was actually the opposite of super cautious. I was very, some would say foolish a lot of times. Love believes all things kind of moment. Those, those are the scriptures I held on to in my first walk with the Lord, my first half of my walk with Jesus. Love believes all things. They said they needed it. I'm going to give it to them. And as I get older, I start asking a few more questions now. And I wonder how many times I've missed opportunities because I asked too many questions or found a loophole where I don't know about that. I stepped away from it. The opportunity to be a blessing. God doesn't call us to be, He wants us to be wise, of course, and that's another scripture He used. Be wise. Be a good steward. Yeah. But he also told the guys, I mean, if you read that Sermon on the Mount, what a powerful sermon. But, if, you know, if they ask you to go a mile, go two. And if they want your shirt and they're going to sue you for it, give them your coat also. Those aren't worthy. A couple questions into that moment and you'd be running for the hills. You know, I, I'm going to walk one mile. I'm going to give you the shirt. I'm not giving you extra. You're not worthy of it. You haven't. And that's, I think, where we fall into our trap of becoming a little jaded. God says we need to be generous. And he shows up in poverty and is experiencing and letting people, giving people the opportunity. Mary and Joseph have accepted him wholeheartedly. The innkeeper, not so much. He's in a minute here going to allow the shepherds to hear it and, and, and do what they do. He doesn't tell them to go tell everybody. They just go do it, you know. But when it comes to King Herod... He's not going to respond appropriately. Just be careful that we don't get too jaded as we get older and to see the poverty around us and not explain it away as that's their own choice. Bad choices. In Deuteronomy 15.11, part of the law, for the poor will never cease from the land. Therefore, I command you saying, you shall open your hand wide to your brother you're poor and you're needy in your land. Pay attention to the people, especially in your immediate sphere of influence. I think that's the most important. God places us here for that reason. You look for your neighbor and see that person that's in need. Reach out and nobody needs to know. And you don't need a tax receipt for it. You know, just something you do. He commands them to open their hand wide. And I, I like that. That indicates a reckless abandonment of caution, you know. It's like, I'm not going to, you know, and give out portions. I'm just going to go, you know, all. I, I just do it. There's something about that that's very pleasing to the Lord. And so we see Jesus show up in poverty. And many opportunities are given and many are lost. Because they didn't have the compassion. You think of that, this is like a one-time opportunity for this innkeeper. I mean, honestly, how many people stop in at Bethlehem? I mean, it is kind of on the way to Jerusalem, but you've got to be coming from a certain direction. I wonder how thriving his innkeeping business was until this moment, you know. Capitalize upon this Caesar decree. And in the middle of that mindset, because you've got that mindset of making money and you're going to really make this work and this is going to be great, this is going to set me up for three years. This is a windfall coming my way. And you see some pregnant lady come up, and you're like, you're already hardened. 
because you were thinking about the prophet. Have to be careful. Verse 8, now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were greatly afraid. Then the angel said to them, do not be afraid. For behold, I bring you good tidings, great joy, which will be to all people. There is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be the sign to you. You will find the babe wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace, goodwill toward men. Exciting. I don't know how many shepherds there were, maybe three to a flock, taking turns, some sleeping, some awake, doing a watch. Three seems to be adequate. You can divide a day up pretty well that way. And they get, it, they get the news. And it's surprising to me that they have to go, and we're going to see that here in the next section, that they have to go and tell everybody about it. This seems to be a big event, a very loud event, a very bright event. And I don't know how far outside of the town they are, but they're close enough to where when they hear the news, they're going to go find this baby in Bethlehem. They're going to leave their flock and go in. So it isn't days, maybe hours, maybe even an hour, not even that, but just outside of town. And they hear all this news and it's just for them. It's just for them. Those are the people God wanted to say. He didn't show up in town and said, wake up, wake up, everybody go to the manger. That would have been a more... um, Efficient use of God's resources, wouldn't it? Why did you go to the bigger populous center and wake them up, and get them all to go? Why just to these few shepherds over here? Because it's a specific crowd and it's a specific time. Because I want to tell the lowest people, because the shepherds weren't exactly the, the greatest. And I want people in town to have to believe them. They're going to have to listen to this testimony. When God called me and when God called you into his kingdom and we responded when we answered, and you wonder why us in our little towns or our little, our little lives, and they are small, because he wants the wise and the, and the giants of the land to have to listen to us, to have to hear us, to have to receive it. And then they're going to have to believe too. Beautiful moment for these guys. Not many great things happen to shepherds, you know. Very few things that they come into town. Hey, how was your day? You know, well, I watched 100 sheep eat grass again. And maybe on the day that a wolf shows up, you get to tell that great heroic story or a not so great heroic story. Yeah, you got two. I lost two to the wolf. I didn't get there in time. The ewe lamb you know, didn't make it or whatever. But this, here's your story. For such a time as this, you're the one to get the news. You're the one to hear from me. And he tells them not to be afraid. Now, this is the fourth group he's told not to be afraid. Zacharias, terrified. Don't be afraid, the angel said. Mary, concerned. I wouldn't say terrified, but she was concerned because the angel says, no, don't be afraid. For Joseph, if you read Matthew's account, he says, don't be afraid. 
And then for the shepherds, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. It's a big deal when you see light that doesn't come from the sun or the moon, you know, that's so bright that it engulfs you. It's not a candle. This is not a forest fire. This is like a 747 on a landing strip coming flying at you. That's unusual, you know. And it would bring your heart to flutter a little bit, I would think. He says, I don't want you to be afraid. This is good news that I'm bringing to you. It's going to be great joy for you, and it's going to be to all people. It's exciting. And that's very comforting that God wants to bring that. The, the message in verse 14, it's, we're going to give God glory because on earth, peace, it's God's will towards men, goodwill towards men, God's will towards it. And that's not what they read in Malachi. That's not the last word they heard from God. He says, you know, I'm going it, 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 to bring judgment. And so there's this understanding of God, and, and, and it's true to have that kind of fear. But he says, no, this is different. This advent is different. This appearing is different. You're not going to have to be afraid of this one. This is God's will towards men. It's always been God's will for us to have a place with God. It's always been his heart for us to be beside him. He's always wanted us with him. It's never an afterthought. This is planned from the foundations of the earth. Before man was created, he knew, I'm going to send my son, my only son, Jesus, to die on the cross for Adam and Eve, whom I'm about to make. That was always the plan. This is God's will. Your salvation, your trusting in the Lord is God's will for you. That's what he wants. And it's peace. I want peace with you. So there's this huge extravaganza of angels and, and, and a word of wisdom, a word of knowledge, a prophecy, a fulfillment of go look and see, you know. That's what I want you to do. This is your sign. You'll find the baby wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. That's the Christ. Now, understand they're the only ones that have been told necessarily and, and that this is the Christ. Everybody's going to ask, son of David, you know, son of man. Certain phrases Jesus is going to use throughout his ministry, rarely is it ever understood the Christ, the Savior. Or these guys get a word from the Lord directly. This is the Christ. This is the one everybody's been waiting on. He's here and he's in a manger and you're going to find him. So they went and looked, which is smart. It's what you do, you know. In Isaiah 41.10, fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Yes, I will help you. I will uphold you with the righteous, with my righteous right hand. That's Old Testament. That's a prophecy. There is the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And then he goes on to say this, fear not. Because I'm with you. I don't want you to be dismayed. I don't want you to be worried about the circumstances and the situations around you. Got a lot of things going on around us all the time. More and more. We see the world rising up and doing crazy things. Crazier and crazier every... It's like they're trying to invent new crazy and levels of it. It says, I don't want you to be afraid. I'm with you. The message is still the same. The emphasis is still on Christ. It's still on the cross. I'll strengthen you. You wonder, how long is it before we go hide in holes? You know, how long is it before they come searching for us as Christians? Because Christianity is becoming synonymous with, well, evil in this world. We're going to be looked at as evil and the world will look at themselves as the good. 
and that the good needs to overcome the evil and the tables will be completely turned. And you kind of wonder how long. God says, I don't want you to be afraid. I want you to stand up. I want you to continue on. Don't be dismayed. I don't know what to do or which way to go. Of course you do, he says. Of course you know what to do. Don't be afraid. I will help you. Phew. And I'll uphold you with my righteous right hand. Just remember, always remember, no matter how crazy the world gets, what you believe and what the Bible teaches you is God's righteousness. It's right. It's right. You're not off base. You're not a bigot. You're not phobic. You're right. You have God's heart on this. It's appropriate. It will be less and less popular, but it doesn't make it less right and accurate. You celebrating Christmas is appropriate. Some people aren't sure whether they should or not, or some of the things mixed up with Saturnalia and all these things. And most of us don't even know what that is. In fact, most pastors have to teach what Saturnalia is so people can understand how Christmas coincides with Saturnalia. So I'm not going to talk about it anymore. As far as we know, it's just Christmas. Saturnalia is forgotten. We've completely co-opted the, the time and the season. Hooray! You know? Well, Ashtar, you know, Easter, Ashtar. You ask anybody on the street, are you celebrating Ashtar or Easter? And they're like, well, what in the world is Ashtar? Never mind. We've completely taken that one over too. I love it. Let's keep going. I, I, the day will come when they'll say, are you going to the harvest party? Are you going to Halloween? And they'll be like, what's Halloween? I only know harvest party. See, we're in the process of taking that one over. So we're working on that. No, we're not going to celebrate those things. John chapter 12, verses 14 through 15, considering fear and God's will to us. Then Jesus, when he had found a young donkey, sat on it as it is written, fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. The whole vision of Jesus' first appearing was to bring peace to people, bring comfort, to bring relief. It's never meant to bring fear. Luke chapter 4, verses 16 through 22. So he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. And he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah. This is Isaiah 61. That's what he's reading. And he was handed the book. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written. The Spirit, this is verse 1, Isaiah 61. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, to recover the sight of the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. And that's where he stops. It says, then he closed the book. And he gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all who were in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. So all bore witness to him and marveled at the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth. And they said, Is this not Joseph's son? Now, why is that exciting? Because Isaiah 61 We've read verse 1. Now, it continues on because verse 1 ended with a comma. Jesus stops with a comma. He doesn't finish the complete prophecy. The complete prophecy goes on in verse 2. 
to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord, comma, and the day of vengeance of our God to comfort all who mourn, to console those who mourn in Zion, to give them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they may be called trees of righteousness and planted, and the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. Jesus says verse 1 and part of verse 2 are fulfilled, but the rest of it comes at my second appearing. The judgment that comes, the day of vengeance of our God, is not at this time. It is in the book of Revelation, known as at his second advent, the second coming of Jesus. Verse 1 and verse part of verse 2 is all peace. That's why I've come, is to bring that peace. Now, when Jesus read that to the crowd, they knew that he had stopped at a comma, especially the rabbis who gave him the book. I mean, everybody understand that. When he said he ful- he's fulfilling it right now, they were supposed to understand just what the angel has said to everybody so far. You don't have to be afraid. This isn't that coming. This is the first coming where I make everything peaceful and I get, you get right with me. I'm going to make a way for you to come to heaven. And that's his first appearing. It says there, and this is, we're going to move on to verse 15, but it says there that they marveled at Jesus's words. I don't like that word marveled. It's too ambiguous. I looked it up, found it synonyms and so on, went through the thesaurus and the definitions. It can just go either way. Now, if we use the word marvelous, we know what that means. No one ever says, oh, you know, that car accident was marvelous. It doesn't fit. But when you see a car accident, you can marvel at it like, whoa. You know, I mean, that's the whole idea by the car wreck that they, they park in front of the radio station here in towns that don't text and drive. You know, it's meant to dr- draw people to look at and say, you know, they're supposed to marvel at the destruction. You know? So marvel can be used and, and, and mean two different things. You can be excited about it or you can just be bewildered by what you've seen. So verse 15, so it was when the angels had gone away from them into heaven that the shepherds said to one another, let us now go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. Imagine these hooligans showing up, you know, sneaking into the, I don't know if it was day or night, I would assume nighttime because they probably went immediately into town. So it wasn't very far and they're kind of walking up. There's no street lights or anything, and you've got all these men walking towards, you know, your stable. Or Joseph, you know, I can take one or two of them, but I don't know if I can take all these guys. Just the thoughts that would go through your mind. And they come in lowly and humble and very careful and quiet. I add that because it's appropriate. I'm, I'm, they couldn't have come any other way, not boisterous and loud and say, I don't know if there's a baby or not. No. I bet they saw him and were quiet. And they're just, just looking at her, looking at Joseph, looking at the baby. Joseph and Mary are looking at them and looking at them. Angels told us that this is the Christ. I don't know what conversation they had, but they shared everything with them, Joseph and Mary. I don't know how it went down, but they did. Now, when they had seen him, Jesus, they made widely known the saying which was told them concerning this child. In other words, they repeated what the angel said to them. They weren't asked to do that. It's just a natural outpouring of someone who's encountered Jesus. When you're a born-again believer, I shouldn't have to tell you, now go out and tell other people. You can't help it. 
As a born-again believer who's had your guilt relieved and you've been forgiven by all your sins, you can't help but tell all those around you that are still overwhelmed by their sin and are covered with guilt, you don't have to carry that anymore. So they go out and tell everybody. And all those who heard it marveled at those things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. So she got the message too. She heard what the angels told them and she kept them in her heart. She's going to need this. God will give us scriptures. He'll give us moments like this this morning, circling scriptures, things that pop off the page for you, things that touched your heart, maybe not all of it, but some of it, because you're going to need that later on to draw from. Mary's going to need this to draw from. It's another 12 years before they have another event. I mean, they're going to hear from, I mean, we'll get to that next Sunday. Simeon and and Anna are going to prophesy over. But after that, it's few and far between before they get any more confirmations. They're going to get the wise men. They're going to come when he's about two or three years old. Not sure how old he is at the time, but he's a young child. And he's in Nazareth. He's not in Bethlehem. And they come visit. So that's another confirmation there. But then they're going to have to run off to Egypt. They're going to have to hide because the babies are all being killed to and under. And she's going to need to draw on these moments. She's going to need to keep all these things and ponder them in her heart. This is quite an announcement to these shepherds. That's quite a, a, a birth story, you know. And she's going to keep them in her heart. It says they marveled. I don't know what that means. I think anybody that hears the gospel of Jesus Christ kind of marvels at it. Some don't act like it but they are pondering it, they are thinking it, and they are going through it. It is something unusual. I mean, you really have to, you, you either have to accept it or you have to walk away from it because it sounds pretty crazy. You know, I believe in a God who sent his son to a woman who's never had intercourse and now they have a baby and he showed up. I mean, it's an interesting story to tell someone who's never heard it for the first time. And they're going to look at you and they're going to marvel, first of all. They're going to wonder about you. But they can see the evidence of it and they can see it on your face. And they're going to have to make a decision as to whether to believe you. You're either crazy or you're telling the truth. They're going to have to discover it for themselves. But people will marvel at the news. Unfortunately, some people, that's all they do is marvel and then they let it go. It says... Then the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told them. These things were spread throughout all the land, you know, glorifying God wherever they went, telling of this story. But as years pass by, five, ten years later, are they still watching Jesus? Do they, do they keep track of him? Do they see him go back to Nazareth? Are they checking on him to see when the... Only his cousin John is really the one that's paying attention to all these things. Only John is the one saying, is it time? Are you going to do this? Should we look for another? He's the one that's been chomping at the bit. It's going to be three decades before Jesus begins his public ministry from now. That's a long time to hold on to a scripture for it to be fulfilled. Many of these shepherds may have died in that time period. Who knows how old they are? Our promises that come from God, that God gives us, have to be held on to. And there's no time limit on them. There shouldn't be. I have no idea when it's going to come to pass or how long it's going to take. 
I have ideas. You know, we think about the rapture and when it's going to take place. We're ready for it at any moment. It could be today. It could be right now, now, now. Or it might be decades from now. I don't know. We don't know. But there is no statute of limitations on that promise from God or any of the promises that God has given us or any of the callings that he's put upon our lives. There is no time limit to where we say, well, I give up. That's it. I've given him 40 years. I've given him 20 years. I've given him 10 years. Uh-uh. We hold on to these things. Mary doesn't know how long she's going to have him. When does his public ministry start? When does the cross happen? When is this sword going to pierce me through, which we'll read next week? When is it going to be the heartache portion of this prophecy? Will it be when he's 12, when I first lost him? But then I found him, so that's good. Will it be when he's 14, 16? When does he start opening his mouth and start making trouble as far as the world's concerned? You've got to hold on to that. Our Christmas is, this time, this season is a beautiful time for us ton of emotions that we go through almost every day. There's preparation for guests and people. There's, did I think of everybody? Did I, did I reach everybody I was supposed to reach? You want to thank everybody. You want to remember everybody, but you're sure you've, I'm not sure if I got everybody, you know, you just have to trust. And then you try to settle in because you want to enjoy the season too. I'm going to settle in and enjoy this time. And I'm going to have times of reflection with the Lord and my little quiet time in the morning and my little uh, praise hallelujah session in the car as I listen to some Christmas music and I sing at the top of my lungs. And then I get out and go to Walmart and shop some more or whatever. We go through all these emotions. We think about the times that God's called you and put things on your heart and you're wondering, has he spoken to you lately? Or is there anything now? Is there anything that I need to do during these next two weeks? And God may show you something. And you'll say, yes, Lord, I'll do that. I'll absolutely do that. I'm going to call them. I'm going to write them. I'm going to get that for them or whatever it may be. And then you're going to run into obstacles, schedule conflicts. And you have to press through those things and continue the the work God's called you to do. We'll go through all those things this year. Either way, that's all part of the celebrating. To go through everything Mary went through and Joseph went through and the shepherds went through and the people that heard the shepherds and Zacharias and Elizabeth and all those emotions, everything that's been going on in this story, we get to experience also. Not just when a kid it was easier, wasn't it? It's just presence and waiting for that day when you get to open them up kind of thing. Maybe your parents read you scripture verses or things like that throughout the week, but we try to do that. But going through all these things, I hope you enjoy every bit of it, all of it, and pay attention and be just super aware of the spiritual things God has for us to do during this time. It'll be beautiful. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for letting us get a glimpse into what all these people had to go through. They got to experience, they got to be a part of your story. And um, that hasn't ceased. This isn't a season that we need to just get through and put in the rearview mirror. And we want to we live it like they did. We want to be ready in season and out of season for whatever you call us to do. And to be yes men and yes women. To be people of faith that hear your word and maybe not understand how it can come to pass, but that it will because you promised us that.
and we do it. That we see the poor, that we see the needy, that we see the people. I don't know what Mary and Joseph looked like when they came to end. Maybe they were a little disheveled. Been on the road a long time. In a lot of pain. Joseph looked a little too desperate, maybe. I pray that you help us to see past all of that and the people that we run into and see the heart and listen to your spirit in every encounter. And we respond appropriately the way you'd want us to, God. Generosity with hearts full, with eyes on the people and on you, that we're obedient. Lord, we love you. We thank you for the opportunity to do this every single year. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you need prayer before you go, please come up. Be glad to pray with you. Otherwise, have a great Christmas week.